This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to episode 20 of the Practice of Learning Teams. Today's podcast is the first of a series of four episodes as we take the podcast on a virtual tour of Australia and looking at how the Australians are applying learning teams to improve organisational learning. On today's show, we're joined by my colleague and co-author Brent Robinson and our special guest Deirdre Lewis from Origin Energy. Some of our listeners may have heard Deirdre on Dr. Todd Conklin's Prex and Investigation podcast, episode number 315, when they talked about learning from uncertainty. On today's podcast, Deirdre will share with us her learning team's journey and we'll explore a range of views on using learning teams for crisis events such as the Australian bushfires, the difference between sharing versus learning with learning teams, how to prepare leadership for learning teams, learning teams and psychological safety, justifying the cost of a learning team, using learning teams for successful work, the importance of coaching and mentoring facilitators of learning teams, and the value of soap time. And we'll wrap up by talking about using learning teams outside of safety. Don't forget, in our final episode for the month, I'll then be joined by my fellow colleagues, Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson, and we'll conduct a mini learning team on the key threads and themes that emerge during a virtual tour of Australia. So welcome to the uh, Practice Learning Teams podcast series. It's great that you could join us so early in the morning in Australia. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's really nice to be here. Fantastic, fantastic. And um, look, um, this is going live as part of our uh, learning teams down under month for uh, for Australia. And uh, uh, later on the year, we'll be doing a, also a series on learning teams um, for New Zealand, so that forgotten country. But we thought we'd like to start with the larger continent first. So do you want to talk a little bit briefly about your guys' learning teams journey so far, how, how it started? Yeah, sure. So we've sort of been on a, um, I guess a, we've had a lot of discussion in the business over the last probably two or three years around how we can learn better as an organisation and really trying to get our heads around what that can look like and um, and what tools we can use. And we're probably floundering around a little bit to kind of think about how we can learn more deeply from um, what we were doing. So we were thinking we were learning, but not really learning. We were probably sharing more than we were learning, I would say. Um, so I guess I went and um, really did a little bit of research, read some read some stuff, um, ha, you know, was looking at the work that Todd Conklin um, had been doing around asking better questions um, and really thought, well, you know, um, I'm going to have a crack at this. Um, there was a couple of big things that were going on at the time when we first started to um, really have a go and um, started having a look. The very first one we did actually was um, during last year's bushfire season in Australia and our team just did a tremendous job managing, um, you know, and being resilient in the face of such a huge crisis. So rather than... Um, uh, um, leaving that opportunity on the table, we didn't have anything bad happen in terms of our people or our facilities were safe. Um, I really wanted to learn from what we were doing well um, and really understand why that was, um, why that actually happened in our organisation and how we were um, adapting and being resilient in the face of such a crisis across a huge amount of the Australian context. Um, so we had a number of our big facilities and some of our smaller facilities at risk from the fires. That's kind of where we started. And um, I engaged our operational teams at the sites and essentially we just um, pulled together a learning team. We, we were trying to do it face-to-face, -face, but um, 
with everything going on, we ended up doing it virtually. So our very first experience as a learning team um, uh, was a virtual experience. And, um, yeah, so that's really how we started it and really just took guidance from some of the materials that were out there um, in books and um, through podcasts and just things that we've been listening to. So that's really the, the start of the journey, I guess, for us. So you're really just giving it a go? Yes. I like that bit you said uh, around you sharing versus learning. I think that's really interesting because what made you think that you were just sharing versus learning? What was that um, difference in your mind? Yeah, so um, it was more that things were being pushed out into the business through, you know, the usual um, uh, safety um, artifacts, so things like alerts or notices or things uh, like yeah. that. They would yeah. start, they'd just go out into the business and we would share things with people. Or they might have a chat at a toolbox to talk about them, but it wasn't any deeper than that. It was more this happened in this place and these are the one or two things that maybe you can do over here. Um, but it was no more than that, really. It felt very much on the surface and certainly from an operational perspective as well as from a... Um, perspective there was a fair bit of frustration about that feeling like all these uh, all this work and effort was going into something that um pretty much just kind of sent out and went into the ether a little bit so we knew that there was some opportunity that opportunity that, that we were essentially leaving on the table and that's really where that deeper conversation started to occur around how do we how do we actually really learn a bit better yeah so so from what i'm hearing um basically the difference between the sharing and the learning, one was about the context, getting that deeper, richer conversation going. Yeah. And and the second one is, to me, it sounds like active feedback. Yeah, definitely feedback from, yeah, from uh, uh, the people who are involved in these things as well as um, from the safety team as well as the HSC team. Yeah. Right. So that it became more of a two-way conversation. Yeah, I, I think we. I think as a as an organisation, we, we've actually had a journey where that two way conversation happens pretty well between the functional team and the front line. Um, but I think what we didn't have was really any mechanism to, or we didn't feel like we had a mechanism to actually help to propel us from sharing into learning. And that's really where I think the learning team's process um, is starting to come into its own from our perspective as an organisation because it gives us a way to, to actually um, to delve deeper into what's actually going on um, versus um, having a more surface-level discussion. Right. And this thing about giving it a go, how did that sit with leadership? How did we prepare leadership for what giving it a go looks like? Well, so it depends on what you mean by leadership. And I think um, like there's levels of leadership. Mostly I just didn't I just didn't gazette it too broadly. I just said, this is what we're going to do. Are you on board? Let's have a crack at something different. That was kind oh. of where, where it started. Um, so it wasn't like I went, okay, we're going to do this whole new thing. Uh, it was more, okay, let's have a crack at trying to learn more deeply into this. We kind of feel like we did a good job. Let's understand, you know, how we got there. Um, and so I think doing it... Um, uh, around the first one in particular, doing it around something that the business felt that they'd done very successfully was a really good place to start because um, there was no opposition to, there was no fear, I think, as well. So um, people were quite, uh, they wanted to embrace the fact that they'd done something really well and to celebrate it and to learn why that was the case. So I think it was a really good thing to start with, if you like. Yes, okay. trying to minimise the exposure point. Hmm. So I'm just um, thinking about your point about you didn't gazette it and it wasn't this top-down program that you were rolling out. You were really just celebrating some of the successes that you'd had within the, within the business. Yeah, definitely. I think everyone wanted to. So I think everyone was talking at a very senior level all the way down through the organisation around um, what a success that the operational teams had um, had in terms of uh, 
mitigating the risk to our people and um, the assets that we have in Australia when those fires were coming through. Um, and so um, I think the the conversation that I had um, at the senior level was, well, let's understand why that's the case. And so that was kind of my um my, uh, uh, what do you call it, like my licence to just do what I wanted. <laughs> and then I just decided I was going to do a mm. learning team. Um, and that was how we, that's how I was going to, to get the richness of information. So I did it. I didn't, um, it wasn't something that we went, oh, let's, you know, have this program or, let's, you know, it was just like let's find out why we were successful um, and let's talk to the people who were responding during the crisis at the at the front end of the work. And it's going to be the most, you know, the severity of those fires, the size of the fire fronts and the adaptability of your organisation to perform that successful work, you know, that's, that's an amazing outcome because it just went on for months and months really, didn't it? Oh, it was unbelievable, actually. And I think one of the things that um, our organisation's particularly good at is responding in crisis. So we're very resilient and uh, adaptable as an organisation. And in a way, because that's our culture, um, one of the things that um, it's almost one of the things we take for granted. And what I really wanted to understand was, well, what makes us like that? So then when we're faced with other things that we can not, we can be more conscious about why we're successful in in those kinds of activities so that we can take that and actually then transport to other things that we might not be as good at. So, because um, that flexibility and adaptability is, and, and resilience is just um, it's just gold for an organisation, right? So, yeah. uh, and I think we've also demonstrated demonstrated that through the COVID crisis as well. The 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 way that the organisation um, uh, managed to uh, respond very early and quickly um, it was phenomenal, to be honest. So, I've never seen our organisation respond as quickly and as well as that. And I think the same kind of culture. Um, uh, was in evidence when we responded to the bushfires. So, um, yeah. yeah. So it's a bit like you're sort of normalising um, uh, that whole adaptive component. Yeah. Between this one event and this other event, everyone was like pre, pre-charged with what that looks like in terms of the, the adaptability, that, it, that it's okay. You know, that resilience is something we should um, um, encourage and encompass. But also I think understand. So I think that's the thing too. We need to understand that we have it and what it actually looks like so that we can be deliberate about about, um, building that and it's not just something that um, sits as a capability in the organisation and we undervalue it. So I think there's something to be said for um, pulling out when things go well in a crisis or well um, normally because um, we deal with crises all the time, right? So um, Your business, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, um, But I think it's then about being um, really conscious of the things that we're doing so that we can bring it into day-to-day learning versus waiting for a crisis to happen. So it might be just that we're doing a small piece of operational work and we recognise that we've actually got a a deeper pool of resilience sitting in the business and, and capacity sitting in the business that we didn't really understand that we had. So I think the learning team's process helps us to um, unpick some of that um, and often you see that um, you know a lot of the a lot of the um, uh, I guess in the early days and we've and we've done this a fair bit as well as we learn from things that go wrong um, but are also really keen to think about how do we learn from when we're doing things well and, and when things are going right um, yeah so that's where we actually started which is a yeah, bit. yeah. <laughs> look, it's a challenge, um, and you know, the, we, we talk about the you know, learning teams is about trying to make that operational learning a bit more uh, visible and transparent. Um, in the book, the practice of learning teams, we, we sort of talk about the difference between organisational learning and, and worker learning. How have you sort of have you been able to look at those two things as being quite different? What's what's been your feeling about that? Yeah, I think um, 
yeah, I mean, obviously there are differences. I think, um, you know, uh, I think part of the journey to being a, a, a business or, or a, um, uh, an organisation that's really thinking about learning is, um, I guess the journey we've been on is really thinking about how we do that at all levels in the organisation and what does that actually look and feel like. So we're still probably working through a journey around that. And from a leadership perspective, I know we talked briefly about it before um, in terms of that first learning team that we did, but I think our leadership um, is on a is on a quite a um, a. a, a a good learning curve, if you like, it's probably the wrong terminology to use, but I think we're starting to really think about how we have deeper learning, so not just operational, but how do we how do we think um, about learning more broadly? So, you know, even you know, from the board down, we're kind of um, we're kind of in all different um, uh, stages of learning as a as a business. So, um, yeah. Do you? With that learning, is there a feeling within the organisation that you need to capture it? Or, you know, and back to that sharing thing, do you share it? I mean, how does it work for you guys? How do you move, yeah, that, okay. yep. move that round? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think it's a bit like, you know, what we are talking about before, the sharing was sort of we're just pushing stuff out into the business, but I, I didn't really want to do that. So um, there's been different um, things that I've been trying in terms of it's it's not so much sharing, it's about telling the story or that's how I kind of like to, um, to talk of, about it. That's yeah. a great way to um, describe it actually that's really yeah so so part of what that looks like for me is like I've been doing little videos with the people who've been involved in the learning teams and asking them about not just um what they learned or how they learned together because what what we've been finding is that they're actually the facilitators in there and and helping to guide the conversation but when it goes super well they're actually asking each other questions and so um there's a piece around what the team learned and then there's also this piece that I've been um exploring with the people who've been involved is around well what else did you learn um about our business or about the process or or um um about how we're interfacing as an organization so you know oh I didn't realize that because it was a silo here or I didn't realize that because I didn't understand the process or whatever it was so we're capturing that on little video snippets and then sharing them in ways that a business can access but it's the stories from the people involved and those are things that I've been sharing from um at the board level all the way down back in through to the teams um you know the teams who create the videos of the first ones to see it um so they're actually using it to go oh look you really be really cool if you're involved in one of these because i learned so much um yep. it was such a great experience have a look at my video you know and we've kind of just snippets they're not they're um, not long videos they're just little talk points right so yeah, yeah. that's very cool so you're just that being distributed throughout the business yeah, and different in different um, channels. So yeah. I might put. Uh, so for example, at the board, I might embed the link to a video in a very structured board paper. Um, yeah. uh, it, I might put it on a workplace channel so people can watch the video, or I might um, uh, they might use it as a link in a toolbox talk. So different channels for different teams, but essentially the same material. Okay. Wow. That's, that's a great way of getting it out there. It's, you know, so much better than, you know, quite often you see people pumping out emails about sharing something or doing something, but it becomes this very one-way document. And um, that's a really interesting way of doing it with a video. Just the using... other, yeah, yeah, I think it is. And the, the other thing that um, has been really helpful is um, I've been doing like uh, what I'm calling like little um, learning webinars in the business and anybody across the whole business can join in whether you're a truck driver or whether you're the CEO um, and we're just getting people to come in and talk about stuff it, it doesn't have to be a learning team thing it could be anything yeah. um, and uh, those sorts of things have been getting a fair bit of traction as well and so I think that the more channels that you've got to have a discussion 
um, the better. Um, and you just you just got to really recognise that a truck driver is not going to read a five-page document or never going to yeah. read a report, right? Because, yeah. one, they don't have time and, two, probably isn't that interesting, right? But they will watch a peer um, having a five-minute conversation on a video at yeah. their lunch break. So I think those sorts of things, we just got to be really mindful of that because otherwise you end up just gazetting to one channel. Yeah. Yeah, and look, we, we've recently been asked by a couple of organisations to do uh, like a little um, a mini podcast for them, the same thing, to try and capture um, some of that organisational learning and try and capture some of that worker learning and then sort of, you know, put it into a little pod type thing that they can distribute out. Because you know, a lot of people these days can get access to the to the to the pod. Yeah, I, I think they're really they're really good things. I think um, you know, yeah, I think the more that you can communicate, the better. I mean, podcasts are a great way to communicate. Um, it's one channel. Some people love them. Other people hate them, right? So yeah. I think, um, you know. A YouTuber or a potter. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and, and some people, uh, some people, um, you know, I, I was, I'd, I'd done another podcast and somebody sent me notes and they'd, they'd listen to it when they were, you know, riding their bicycle to work and how cool it was. I was like, well, that's really great for that individual, but other people going, oh, my God, I can't stand the sound of her voice and I don't want to hear her. I'd rather listen to, you know, the guy who was driving the tractor and, um, you know, so I think it's just about um, having as many modes of communication as you possibly can have. And then what I think occurs, and this is certainly what's been happening in my business, is that people just, there's a little bit of momentum that starts to happen um, and people just want to get involved. So as soon as you start getting that real pull of like, oh, I want to be involved in the learning team, how come I wasn't involved in that one and I want to do the next one or can I facilitate one and there gets this excitement around um, participation and being involved and being part of the solution because often um, the excitement comes from the fact that the people who are involved in the process are the ones who are actually finding the solutions to a problem that they've had for a long time. So the excitement really builds. It's not something that um, you know, the investigator has found and thinks this is the solution and then gives the person the action. It's like, you know, you never have to ask people to do stuff. They're going, oh, I'm going to take on that or I'm going to do that because I can see how I'm um, empowered to do that. I've got the capacity to do that and I want to fix it because they've been involved in those deeper discussions, both at an operational level but also from an organisational of you as well. It is and that that empowerment that is so important in this, isn't it? Oh, hugely important, I think. And you know, part of part of that I think starts very early on in the learning team process because I think providing a really safe environment, like a psychologically safe environment for people to be able to come in and go, this is um this is you know what's gone wrong. Um and really start to ask deeper questions around or what's gone right um, and ask some deeper questions around that. And then people kind of go, well, I've played a part in that going well or I played a part in that maybe not going as well as what we wanted it to go. Um, and mistakes are okay. Let's just work out how do we learn as a collective around how we might, you know, do this better. And I think naturally people will gravitate to wanting to take action if they feel they've got that ownership over um over the learning and the and the um and the outcome because they wouldn't want anybody else to do it right because because no. yeah. <laughs> it's they own it right so and i think it's great really, it's a really interesting point that that learning is learning it shouldn't matter whether it comes from a, a learning of something that didn't go as as well as we thought it would if something went well, learning is learning. And, and I, yes. I sometimes wonder that that this whole discussion about learning from success or unsuccessful work, we should actually just say learning is learning. I agree. I think that probably where we're at in our, uh, in our journey is that we probably um, have had 
you know, the, the that way of thinking entrenched. We probably only really tried to learn from things that went wrong. That was probably where we were. I think even bringing the language into learning from things that go right um, in the safety context is probably something, um, you know, that's really newer than in some other operational context. So if you think about other other um, systems, um, it's probably a little bit more mature in other um, systems. So you think about reliability and you think about, you know, all sorts of things. Um, uh, I think some of the thinking is a bit more mature. In the safety space, I think we've really probably gone down the tunnel of always looking at what goes wrong for such a long time that I think that transition to just talking about learning in our space is probably, hopefully we'll get there um, quicker. But um, I think um, we still really need to draw out the fact that we want to learn from when things go right too because I think it's just so entrenched to always learn from things that go wrong. I sometimes yeah. I think what scares some people is this quantum between the number of times it goes right versus the number of times it goes wrong. Mm, mm. And they think that if they have to put all this effort and resource and understanding why it goes wrong, how can we how can we do that when uh, a thousand fold or a ten thousand fold it goes right that they they get this imbalance and that this is what I keep hearing all the time and I'm saying they're not the same thing. But also, I think too, like you know, I had this a really interesting discussion the other day about somebody was um, talking to me about um, justifying the cost of doing a learning team. And I'm like, oh, they were asking me about how I justify the cost. And I'm like, well, I don't really have to justify the cost of doing a learning team because it costs us a lot more to do an ICAM investigation, for example. So if I really looked at it cost to cost, you'd be spending a lot more money doing an ICAM and probably time and effort as well. Um, and I look at that and I then think, well, if you were to do a learning team on a, say you do not, you know, you do something well 99% of the time, well, you don't have to look at 99% of those things you just look oh. at one or two of them and do a learning team on that so you know I, I think sometimes people get it confused in their mind because it feels so different um and it can be a little bit um scary and overwhelming I think um that's why I think it's just important to have a go at it mm. um and if you set yourself up right I think you've got to be careful that you don't um, you've got to think hard about the first one that you do, I think, or the first few that you do, and make sure you've got the right people in the room because it can tank pretty quickly and then people feel like it's just uh, an investigation rebadged. So I think you've got to be quite careful of that. Um, but part of that is just explaining to the team that, you, you know, you're not really sure what you're doing either and providing that psychological safety and sort of talk to them about the fact that you're learning as well um, and and then just have a go um, within the, the, the framework and you can do it, you know, I think as loose or as tight as you like and you've just got to be able to read the room and really try and um, understand who your stakeholders are. So, right. Um, so yeah. that sort of goes back to those soft skills. Yeah, definitely. That yeah. facilitator. Yeah. And, and that's probably something that we, uh, many of us um, haven't honed where we need to hone them because <laughs> we've been working in these different models. And I always say that a lot of us, we've come from that um, expert model. And, and now we're being asked to act in a facilitative or um, curious model. And, and that's quite an unusual feeling. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think you're right. I, I, it, it's funny, though, because I've been, you know, as we've been doing these um, learning teams, the people who've been facilitated, we've kind of um, coaching them along the way um, because there has been a bit of hesitancy about being a facilitator and, you know, questions like, oh, what if somebody throws a grenade and I don't know how to respond or, you know, what if this goes terribly wrong and I, and I can't do this? It's like, well, what do you normally do when people throw grenades? Because people do that to you all the time. So haven't you ever, you know, got up in a toolbox talk and somebody threw a grenade? Oh, yeah, and this is what I do. It's like, well, why wouldn't you do that? Like, so we're actually facilitators already. We just don't know it sometimes. So it's about building confidence because I, I certainly know with my um, my functional group that um, we haven't been um, working in the old way, if you like, as um, as 
policemen or whatever way you want to call it for a really long time. We've been partnering and coaches in the business for a long time. So a lot of those skills are already there. It's just then about getting people to understand that you can bring that or you need to bring that absolutely whole, wholly into a learning team and utilise it in just a different context. Um, and then it's about building that confidence, right? You can do this. It's fine. It's nothing different to what you've been doing. It's just... Um, a different kind of process so and it's quite in in intensive so I think um you know having a support person has been really helpful we've had that so we've had two people um together one's been the scribe and one's been the the facilitator yeah. um and we found that really helpful because um they kind of help each other out or if 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 something's not kind of if they're lost confidence or whatever it might be that they they kind of feel like they've got their backup if you like which yeah, is they do. and you know and, and we've found um it's very powerful that they can also have that reflective conversation after the learning team's finished as well Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, what we've been doing is during the soak time, um, uh, getting together after day one and during the soak time, just having some conversations around, you know, how did it go? How did you feel? What went well uh, as a facilitator? And, you know, where do you, where are you thinking about taking it tomorrow? And, you know, how are you going to um, build on the richness that you've got today and even just having those conversations have been really helpful at all stages through the learning teams process and then what we've been doing is paying it forward or that's what we've been calling it so um, the person who's been the scribe or the backup person um, in the learning team before then facilitates the next one um, and then brings somebody new in so um, so that we've been um uh, supporting each other in a really um, in a really pragmatic way, if you like, building capability and supporting each other. Yeah, yeah, and building that uh, capability and uh, confidence. Yeah, as, as they go along, moving from one next step to the next, that way. So, um, one of the things that we talked about in the book, Deirdre, was about the need to define what good looked like. That um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of what's been happening has been quite ad hoc, mm-hmm. and about the need that 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 people, you know, uh, for for those that where this is actually quite different to what they're used to, it's really important that someone needs to know what does good look like, and, and also it's valuable for them to be able to assess where they're at, because the thing that we keep hearing from organisations is is how do we embed this to become an everyday pro- process or an everyday practice for us. Mm-hmm. And what's your feeling about that? So, you know, so, so having that supportive framework for for people. Yeah, I think um, I think having a supportive framework is really important. I think um, it's it's it's. I think framework is the right way to put it, or a playbook is the right way to put it. I think um, uh, functionally, the teams are very used to having a very very defined process and that's been part of um I guess the the discomfort that goes a little bit back to what you were talking about before as being the expert and sometimes we see ourselves as expert in the process as it's laid out in the document um and we're experts in filling out the fields that are pre-populated in terms of themes or whatever it is mm-hmm. yeah. um uh which almost leads you to a particular outcome, right? Um, And so I think um, initially the teams were quite um, uh, nervous about that, I think, but but stepping back and going, actually, we have a robust process. It's okay just to have a process. And then whatever the output of that is actually up to us. So we don't need a template or we don't need, we don't need to have something pre-populated in terms of themes. So what good looks like is to be able to tell a really rich story about what we've learned. Um, it doesn't mean that we have a really brilliantly laid out document that spell checked 25 times. That's not what good looks like. Good looks like is that we're able to tell a story of what we've learned and how we've learned it and how we've enriched our organisation to be better, more resilient. Um, And that sounds a bit airy-fairy, but when you're in the middle of it, people know what that feels like. So um, I think um, uh, we just just need to shift our expectations around um, 
around that that we've had for a very long time. So, um, and have, have, you, have people struggled with that because they, you know, they do like that. Some people really do like that structure. Well, I think it. So I, I think it depends on the context of who wants it, right? So yeah. um, the board is obviously going to want some kind of um, structured something, whatever they might want, right? If it's something yeah. significant, they're going to want structure, and that's absolutely reasonable, right? But then it's about how you present it and what you present. So it doesn't have to be um, a particular way. You can kind of adapt it so that you can tell a story in a board paper rather than just putting numbers in or whatever way that is appropriate for your context. Yeah. Um, at a more, at a at a senior management level rather than a board level, um, I think um, for me, they actually like the story a lot better. I think they connecting to the people at the front line better if we tell in your story. So um, that's actually been probably the biggest change has been from a functional perspective around how we present stuff versus what they want to see, right? I think that's probably <laughs> that's probably our bias. It's like, oh, well, they have to have a report. It's like, well, maybe a story and a page worth of notes will be enough right yeah. um so i think it's then about reshaping how we think and what we do it doesn't have to be the way we've done it for the last 25 years unless somebody's dictating it which is completely different and then you have to influence i think um and at the and at the grassroots level um they just want to they just want to hear stuff they don't want to they don't want that sort of um 25 hsc alerts they don't want it so i think um what good looks like to them is that they hear from their peers around, you know, um, you know what's gone well and and what they can fix. And then all I've heard at an operational level is how excited people are, and people are saying to me, "Oh, thank goodness, finally, finally, we're doing this differently." So, um, and then I ask them, "How do they? How do they want to?" communicate their story and and they come up with well why don't we do a little video and they get so proud of it so um yeah that was that was their ideas right so. how very cool that you know the board has made that transition that they don't want those numbers or the number of alerts or those type of things that the story is so much more powerful well, I think they're on a journey, so I wouldn't say that they don't want the numbers. They still want the numbers. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're really excited about seeing the story. Story, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, that, you know the, the governance piece is there, but I think when they listen to the richness of the stories, they actually then can put light and shade to the numbers, which yeah. I don't think we've probably been as... Um, Oh, I, I think there's a real opportunity there um, uh, for us to um, support our boards more by giving them more fulsome information um, and helping them to fulfil their duties as well. So story can do that. It doesn't need to – how we frame it up is up to us, I think. Mm, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, the, 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 number, the numbers are flat. I mean, the numbers see the world as being flat. Mm -hmm. The story – Gives all that context. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. That the numbers can be perceived based on how they're reading them, where the story does build that whole context around those numbers. And I think you know, senior managers, you know, in my experience when I've been seeing numbers, you can, unless you're digging into them more and more, um, it doesn't give you the full story quite often. But also, I think the lack of a number sometimes people don't. And the board might not understand that. So, for example, you know, we all know the bushfires happened, but we didn't have any injuries. We didn't have any loss of um, property. Uh, so it's not even a number, right? It's just yeah. something that happened. But there's a richness of learning that sits in there that the board would want to know about, which is exactly what we gave to them, and that richness was at, at three different levels. So, But the, that wouldn't have come up anywhere in a number in a board oh. report. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great point. So um, from your point of view, what do you see as being the future for learning teams? Uh, the future of learning teams, I think... Um, where do you want this crazy journey to go? Uh, I, I, where do I want it to go? I, it's as, for me, it's about as long as a piece of string. I think there's so much opportunity um, to... Um, 
to have learning teams, not just in, I mean, we're starting this journey in the safety space, but to, we're starting to have conversations already in my business around how we can apply learning teams to customer issues or to quality issues or to, to we've just done one on an environmental um, issue that we've had. And I think um, uh, it's as long as a piece of string because this for me is about how do you get better as an organisation? How do you get the richness um, of information from the people who are doing the work so that you can improve and at all levels? So your organisation can make strategic decisions based on what you're seeing. And so I, d- I just can't see this as uh, as not being a, 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 an enabler to a step change in terms of organisational performance um, as we go forward. I just don't think that there's any limit to it. The biggest limitation to it, I think, is badly done learning teams because you could you could undo a lot of good work by rebadging something uh, into a learning team that really isn't about learning at all. So I think there's yeah. some real watch points for me in it. Um, but I think done well with the right capability and the right level of organisational buy-in at all levels, it, it, it can just be transformative, I think. Yeah. Look, it's really interesting. During the development of the book, we spent quite a bit of time with Todd around the whole topic of weaponization mm. because that's where a lot of other things have become undone. Now, we, we can't stop weaponization. And I was listening to an interesting um, conversation uh, from Drew Ray and Dave Proven the other day, where that, that, that conversation about academic to consultants, how things get lost in translation. And, and mm. I was saying to myself, one of the things that we did very early on was that we wanted to create a set of core philosophies around learning teams, which didn't exist. Mm-hmm. They existed with HOP, they exist with other things. So if you yeah. things with learning teams, because we, we felt learning team stands by itself. And our feeling was that if we can create those core philosophies, then it allows people to adapt it to their own environment. But the weaponization, but you're lowering that risk because you're going back and saying, does it achieve those core philosophies? Because I, I think that's where a lot of stuff, as it becomes... Uh, uh, productized, commercialized, bastardized, because this is the Australian month, we're allowed to swear, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we, we can't stop that. But we just keep going back to, you know, what, what were those core philosophies around that? And getting people to have that, I think, check in from time to time to basically say, is what we're doing leveraged back to what those core philosophies were? Yeah, well, I think that's right. I mean, I, and I think you probably need to do that more often than you think you do or one does. You need to do that more than one might think you do because I think it's really easy to lose sight of, for example, principles or philosophies if you're moving quickly. And I think um, it's always worth checking in that you're, um, you're meeting the um, intent of what you set out to do. So it's just part of that reflective thinking, I think. You you know, you go back and you think, well, have I achieved what I was trying to achieve or or have I corrupted the process or or have I let something else corrupt the process and do I just need to take a step back and go slower or um, do less and and, or hone more skills or or what is it I set out to achieve and... um, yeah, and then maybe just do a bit of reflection. Yeah, and yeah, reflect and learn. And and, and the last thing, um, if we go back to the whole conversation about uh, learning teams outside of safety, we, we absolutely agree. I mean, this is mm. this is ultimately about operational excellence. But uh, just before the Christmas break, I was I was working with a uh, an organisation that that is very much focused around uh, the ISO auditing, and, mm. and they basically said to them, a learning team actually brings ISO to life. Because the main principles around ISO now are about finding opportunities for improvement. And learning teams, regardless of whether it's quality, safety, environment, doesn't matter what the thing theme is, learning teams provide that environment to find those opportunities, to learn from those people and actually drive improvement. So they've, they've actually been really um, 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 encouraged by what learning teams can actually offer. Through their yeah. own journey, they've had to transition from being an organisation that was there to find non-conformance <laughs> yeah, to yeah. an organisation trying to find opportunity. Well, it's really interesting because um, 
I've been working in my organisation with the audit and also with my risk team um, and and um, we've been looking at um, process safety as well through the lens of a learning team and how do you do a bow tie, for example. So mm-hmm. we're going to actually have a crack at um, pulling a learning team together to develop a bow tie to right. see if we can really start to understand from the teams doing the work whether or not we've really got the right critical controls in place. So um, that's that should be cool. a, a fun experience. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna, to um, take one of the existing um, uh, bow tie diagrams and um, and um, yeah, pull it apart and talk to the people actually doing the work and see if we can learn more deeply around how we're actually doing work. So, well, I mean, uh, the good stay news tuned. Is, <laughs> yeah, look, I'll guarantee they will. I mean, that that's the best part. And and I think we said to some of our visual roadmaps because we've been doing the same things. We've been using um, learning teams for ICAM mm. investigations. Um, and it's been quite um, uh, uh, interesting about what additional operational intelligence they gathered by doing that. Yeah, actually, I did a side-by-side review for the board around that very thing, actually. I took what we learned from um, a number of ICAMs around um, some scaffolding incidents that we'd had, and then we got our contractors together and did um, a learning team um, around the same issue and the themes were the same but the learnings were quite different it was Absolutely. really really interesting so thematically you could align them both up but from the things that actually came out we learned so much more about our own business that we we definitely didn't learn from doing an ICANN investigation just about things like um, how easy it was to interface with us um, if you were a contractor, how um, how we made the process difficult for them, how when we did something different, different or changed something, how that really then created work for them. And so we actually learned about how we could plan things better, which mm-hmm. actually, so we'd actually identified planning as an issue in the ICAM, but not our planning. It was it was actually very much directed towards their um, planning. Treating them as the deficit. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. So it was a really interesting conversation and um, they were brilliant. Like the contractors were just so engaged with the process and um, we'll definitely do more with those people because I think, um, you know, we've got so much to learn from contractors in the business and how we're partnering with them and how we make their work easy and hard and how we can have, you know, good um, relationships but also really open dialogue around how we make work better, more efficient. It's a a big change though, isn't it? You know, I've been on the other side of working with some contractors and some large construction firms. Yeah. And... um, we've been having that same conversation but in the other direction. And um, and you mentioned cost before. And so mm-hmm. some of the subcontractors go, oh, we can't afford it. And I'm saying, well, think about how much you've got 50 guys on site and, you, and it's 80 bucks an hour and your pre-start, how, how valuable is that pre-start at the moment? It's top yeah. down, you know. So let's think about it differently. Let's look at that cost and where the waste might be and how we can actually um, build on that moving forward yeah and I think that also goes and so this is one of the things that came out of um that conversation but also brought us back to our um uh our bow tie analysis because some of the things that we thought were critical controls when you talk to the contractors they're going actually that's not the critical control this is um it's like oh poo because we've actually spent a whole heap of time actually investing and checking and auditing and making sure about that it's like well actually no this is probably the thing that's more important you could probably get rid of that it's like oh okay so it was really really interesting and I think you know and it goes back to the question and where do we think this is going I think it can go pretty much anywhere so, um, you know, you know, that's, you know, half a dozen conversations with somebody about one particular job and we do thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs yeah. um, every month. So, you know, I think um, there's so much opportunity. There's so much opportunity. Was it confronting the first time that they came back and said, well, it's not the critical control? Um, I, 
I don't think it was because we were really curious. So, you know, I think when you're really curious, you're actually just in listening. You just really want to understand. And so if we've got the wrong control in place or if it's not what it was, you know, we really want to know that, right, so <laughs> so that you can, um, yeah, do something about it. A, 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 a massive hole in your your control process. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yesterday, Deirdre is with a utility company and uh, with their project managers who, who spend their entire life trying to create these perfect systems. And we had this conversation about should we be focusing on perfection or should we be focusing on feedback? Because <laughs> <laughs> the holes are going to be in the system regardless. If you don't get the feedback, you don't understand what the hole is, therefore you can't get the system to adapt to fill the hole. But, but what was interesting, amongst their own conversation, the most powerful thing that they actually um, finally agreed on was this disconnect around the whole design element of projects. Okay. And, 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 the, and, and everyone was said, well, what, what do you mean? Well, they said, well, we get handed the stuff and we're not, we're not involved in it. So, and now we're having to try and interpret what you mean at a procurement end and then, then our job is trying to interpret what it means from a worker end and then try and come up with that. And I said, well, but then you're doing the same thing to workers. Mm. You're not engaging them in the process. You, you're trying to make up what they think they're doing. So I said, you know, what? really what we're trying to say is that um, this is where this whole concept of functional diversity becomes so important that you can't be a representative of the workers. You have to have some presence of the workers so they can represent themselves. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And I think when you are, like, that was one of the things that came out of the discussion with the contractors as well, because obviously, you know, if you've got a big outage happening at a power station, you have to plan, like you have to do pre-planning around jobs. Um, and so we were doing a lot of that pre-planning quite well. Um the contractor might come in two weeks before the job was actually going to happen and so would walk through the job um, as they should with their with their teams going, this is what we're going to do. But in the meantime, something's changed and the day that they rock up to do the job, it's not as they walked it through two weeks before because we've changed something. And so those are the sorts of things that I think they highlighted to us about how we could improve. And I think this whole piece around having... Um, Planning's all very well, but it's not static, right? And I think sometimes we think that if we've got, we've planned a process that it's going to be static and we're going to need a scaffold or we're going to need a ladder or whatever, but then something changes and we actually need a different kind of scaffold or we need a different, you know, we might need somebody who can build, uh, you know, somebody with a different technical skill because the scaffold's now going to be different to what we planned it to be because we've changed the process. And sometimes we have this assumption it's going to be a static thing, but it isn't. And that's where I think we need to just have this open dialogue that's happening um, in a really dynamic way. And sometimes we forget that. And then we end up, you know, and people talk about time. It's like, well, we waste a lot more time if we have to stop the job and then do a massive correction. You're much better off to actually have a dynamic um, uh, uh, resilient system so that you don't actually have to do these big oh gosh, we've really stuffed that up. Mm -hmm. um, we can kind of um, we can kind of be adaptive as we go. As we go. And, and it's what, not always like that, obviously, but you know, <laughs> I think I think we we could be more like that than we actually are, is what I would say. Exactly. And, and what and what they said, what what they learned from the little learning team we ran yesterday was the fact that uh, when when the workers come to them or the supervisors come to them with that variability. So that gap between how it was planned and what they're trying to encounter, what they identified was that as project people, they they were the expert, and they're now having to actually deal with us in a different way. And, and what they admitted to us during this conversation was that they actually didn't know how to be curious, because they've been used to being the expert and the planner. Oh yes, okay. And when you come back to me with this feedback, it's telling me I've got my plan wrong. <laughs> now I'm trying to internalize that. Um, and, and so so what they've basically said is what they need to do now is they actually need to do some uh, soft skills development. They actually felt more like being freaking counselors now about some soft <laughs> skill development about actually um, embracing that feedback 
and I, how they respond to that feedback matters. I think it's really interesting because I think in many regards, whether you're an engineer or a safety person or, or whatever, whatever you are, often we as organisations, we reward the knowledge or the expertise um, in the in the harder skills, if you like, because they're really valuable. Like it's really valuable to have a you know a, an engineer that's certified in your business. It's really really important to have them, right? Um, but we often forget that the softer skills are also just as important, but they tend to get recognised less. And so people don't tend to um, get rewarded for those things or they just seem to be less developed in our organisation because we often reward and promote people based on their hard skills. So I think there's um, people hang their hat on the, um, the hard skills um, so it's very difficult then from a, uh, so some people find it really difficult to go, well, maybe I'm not the expert in this and um, I might actually need to learn something when the whole career has been based on being the expert at something in particular. So, um, and always having the answer because we often um, also reward the fixer or the person who has the answer versus the person who has the question. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's no different. I think we'll build that way. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and but it's no different. That that goes back to that whole thing that we reward people when they innovate and get it right, and we blame and punish when they innovate and get it wrong. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been a victim of that, right? Fourteen-year-old oh, <laughs> daughter who reminds me every day. <laughs> hey, look. Um, uh, it's been a wonderful experience today with you, and thank you so much for sharing with the with our listeners um, your journey. I mean, it's an incredible journey, and um, we'd love the opportunity to um, uh, maybe even later on conduct some mini learning teams with you guys about some of the challenges and the barriers that you've encountered. Because more of what we get, or more of what we're being asked of every day is the how, not the what. Mm. Now, a lot of these conversations about the what. And people are saying, so what about the how? Now, and I understand that that people are looking for a recipe and that recipe doesn't exist because every cake is slightly different. Um, but but the more we can have these conversations about the how, I think it's going to be more supportive for people going forward. I don't know how you feel about that. Oh, absolutely. And I think part of um, what I've been learning from my team as they've been facilitating is how rich those conversations are about, well, how did you do that? And how did you do this? Or when I saw you do that, it was really good. I really learned something from you when I heard you facilitating that way. Um, so I think those conversations are what will build skills that um, currently either um, in some people have got them honed really well and some people are still developing them. So I think the more that we can share that kind of stuff with each other, the better. So really happy to be involved in whatever you're thinking. So Fantastic. Well, we're always thinking. That's for real. <laughs> so me too. <laughs> I, I might have been accused a few times of overthinking stuff, so we won't go there. No. Not today. <laughs> That's great. It's been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.